You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to season three, episode three of Thesis on Joan. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folks, both on stage and behind the curtain. For many queers, theater has been an escape, and this podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. This is Holly, pronouns they, them, and I'm here to introduce our next episode. We had the incredible pleasure and honor of talking to Michael R. Jackson, and you are about to hear that interview in just a minute. And a heads up that we recorded this interview with Michael right before he was nominated for all the Tonys for Strange Loop. So congratulations, Strange Loop. They have the most Tony nominations with 11, uh, including for Michael, including Best Musical, including for our other former guest, L. Morgan Lee. We are so excited for all of them. Congratulations. And we can say, you know, we knew him before. Michael R. Jackson is the author of the 2020 Pulitzer Prize and the New York Drama Critics Circle winning A Strange Loop. Other awards include a New Professional Theater Festival Award, a Jonathan Larson Grant, a Lincoln Center Emerging Artist Award, an ASCAP Foundation Harold Adamson Award, a Whiting Award, the Helen Merrill Award for Playwriting, an Outer Critics Circle Award, a Drama Desk Award, an Obie Award, an Antonio Award, a Fred Ebb Award, and a Wyndham Campbell Prize. He is an alum of Page 73's 173 Writers Group and the Dramatist Guild Fellowship Program, and TV includes Boots Riley's upcoming Amazon series, I'm a Virgo. Awesome. Well, welcome, Michael. We are so excited to have you with us on Thesis on Joan. Uh, and yeah, happy to, that you're here. Thank you. I'm happy to speak with you. And we always like to start with our guests sharing their names, pronouns, and anything else you would like to share about how you identify. My name is Michael R. Jackson. I use pronouns he, him, his, and I identify as a playwright, composer, and lyricist. Awesome. Uh, so we previously had the great and good L. Morgan Lee on the podcast to start our second season, and she was sharing. Yay, L. Morgan. Yeah, <laughs> we love her. Uh, and what? And <laughs> love her. Yes, 
Uh, and she was sharing like what an incredible experience it was to be part of a strange loop and the process felt really safe and collaborative as a performer. And what has it been like for you to collaborate with black queer folks and trans folks uh, on this journey of a strange loop? And can you tell us a little more about the early shift to cast the show with all black and queer and trans performers? Yeah. So, um, so originally when I first started working on a strange loop, it, it had two distinct forms before it became a strange loop. But so the initial thing was a monologue that I wrote right after undergrad called why I can't get work, which was just a one man like monologue about a young black man walking around New York, wondering why life was so terrible and sort of cycling through the various areas of his life that he was not happy with. And then it, uh, once I started writing music and putting it into the monologue a couple of years later, it turned into a one man show that I performed called fast food town, which was essentially the same format, but except this time with little song moments that I wrote to punctuate the monologue. And then after that, it transitioned into the piece of Strange Loop, which was uh, more of a quote-unquote book musical, although more probably more con- a con- what used to be called a concept musical, I think, because mm-hmm. that was sort of was my my touchstone for things like Company or and um, uh, a chorus line, and uh, and that it was actually we did a reading a book reading of it without the music that was. You had Usher, the black gay protagonist, at the center of it, but I had white, there were like white actors in it mm. who played lots of characters. And, and also, you know, uh, I think John Andrew Morrison, who's sort of like the oldest cast member of the show, he did mm-hmm. like the mom character and things like that. And then I, when I wanted to do another reading of it, uh, with the music a couple of years after that, I called Stephen Brackett who um, was had directed some concerts of mine, including concerts that had the song periodically in it that John Andrew sang. And Stephen, and I asked him if he would direct a reading of the whole musical just for me so I could see what I had, um, including the music. And he read the script because he had, he'd only heard some of the songs and, and then he read the script. And he, he and he had was so moved by, John Andrew's portrayal of the mother that he mm-hmm. suggested to me, what if we cast the piece with at uh, all black gay men, which is what it was at that time. Um, and so we did a reading of it and uh, it, it was still rough, you know, whatever, but it was like really exciting to see all these folks tell this sort of story. And this was like pre the, the opening number was an intermission song, but it used to have totally different lyrics mm. and it did not have big black and queer ass American Broadway show in it at all. That huh. was, that came much later. Wow. And so then when we did, so then in 2015, we was our next version of it. So that was 2012, 2012 was me and Steven then 20 wow, 10 years ago right <laughs> then 2015 and the monologue was 2003 wow right so then uh musical theater factory shakina nathak founding artistic director of musical theater factory approached me about 
uh, he was starting the Musical Theater Factory, which is a musical theater development hub free from the pressures of commercial and critical success to develop new musicals. Nothing like it exists anywhere, really. And he said, is there anything I was working on? I was like, well, I've had this musical I've been kind of messing around with on and off over the years. Brought it into the writers group, got some feedback. Shakina thought that I should do a residency. So we spent two weeks. I cast it with everyone. That was when I met Elle Morgan. Amazing. And uh, though I met her pre-transition. And um, we did the show uh, as it was as uh, as cast at that time. And then uh, we did a... Then I got a bunch of little bites after that um, to do little pieces of it or whatever and some other stuff at Musical Theater Factory. And then we did a big splashy concert in 2016 at Fine Science 54 Below. And that sort of really got... I think the industry was kind of like... Began to be like, oh, what is this musical? And then Player to Horizons uh, sponsored... Uh, a reading of it in November of 2016, four days after Trump was elected. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> and then, but that actually weirdly, I think helped us in a strange way because my producer, Barbara, um, was like very rattled by the election and also yeah, like excited by the piece and afraid of, it. and she yeah. felt like there was something she could maybe do to help it along. And, and at first she, you know, and also Michael walk up from hate 73 felt similarly, but he was, Hate 73 is an organization that um, helps write, playwrights get their first off-Broadway productions, and Barbara is a commercial theater producer, and so they together started going around seeing, we were trying, them and my then agent were trying to see if anybody would do the show, and no one would do it, and so Barbara, as she famously said, she said, I got mad, <laughs> and so she decided to option it, and then... Um, that helped us, you know, get, we did another reading of it, like nine months after that initial playwrights one. And that's when Clarence Horizons decided to do it. Um, and, and then once, and then there was another year to the production from that point. And in that year, like I was doing, we were doing more developing, tweaking, fixing. I think we did another workshop, a good movement workshop, that all stuff. And then the Playwrights Horizon sent us to like a little retreat so that me, Stephen, uh, Brackett, Raja, Feather Kelly, my choreographer, and also my then, um, uh, orchestrator Darius Smith before he passed away. Um, we were doing some work on the show and I had been tinkering with the opening number. I was just like, something is not right. Because also the thing, I'm sorry, this is a long story, but no. it's a long no, way of answering, it's a long way of answering your original question. It's a lot longer for you to live it <laughs> than to tell us this. Right. Um, was that, so we, so the thing I forgot that I left out was that when like white actors were in the piece, I had not defined the thoughts at all. Like they were, I called mm-hmm. them like changelings and, I had all these weird little names for them that I didn't know what they were. <laughs> and so somewhere toward closer to the playwright's production, uh, or to the playwright's first reading, the, the Trump one, uh, mm-hmm. they became the thoughts. And then when we did the little retreat, I was like, something's not like right. Like the opening number was totally fine as it was, but I was like, something's like not totally telling us what this event is. And suddenly it, like, dawned on me that, like, 
they were, he was writing, he was like trying to figure out whether he was, how he could write the musical within the musical. And that's when it turned into big black and queer ass American Broadway show. Cause I, and I rewrote the whole opening number lyrically from top wow. to bottom. And the only thing that stayed was how many minutes to the inter- end of the wow. commission. <laughs> oh my gosh. But like, but so to answer your original question about what does it feel like to work with like queer folks, gay, trans, et cetera, non-binary, et cetera. Um, it feels incredible because it feels like a, like what a great, what an inc- important and incredible population of people to put in a musical, but also the rewriting that opening number with those folks in mind sort of manifested the idea that it would go to Broadway before it ever went to Broadway, before it even went to off Broadway. Even though that wasn't what I was trying to do, but that's sure. what artistically <laughs> me and the character Usher was tr- like thinking in our minds, like that that's what us, he was writing. Like he was like, he had a dream that maybe this would be like all the big musicals that he loved or, you know what I mean? As a musical theater writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was so cool to me that like that is a, in that big splashy, you know, vision of a dream is black and, 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 and queer folks. And you didn't mean to manifest it, but you did. Right. And that's, <laughs> so. that's what's so, it's so thrilling to me about, you know, when I go to the show and watch them sing that opening number every night is that like, wow, like they made, they made that happen in a weird way. Oh, amazing. And you mentioned Raja Feather Kelly. We're huge fans oh, yeah. of Raja Feather Kelly's work. Greatest. <laughs> Can you share more about how working with Raja helped bring like the queerness of the show to life? Yeah, because Raja is such a like Raja's not just like your standard choreographer. Raja is like an observer of human behavior. And he always says that he takes human behavior and he puts it he turns up the volume and turns up the heat. And, and puts it to account. So like he's just, he, he takes what's already sort of naturally in people and he like figures out how to turn it into something bigger than what it is. And that's so cool. It's not just like doing everything on like a, a, a kick, you know, or a three or whatever, you know, choreographers do. He like, he, it's truly like, uh, it's almost like he's, making little movies out of people, like out of every person, you know, their own little movie that they're in, that you could track their whole, you could track each of the thoughts throughout the whole, from beginning to end. Cause Raja has like observed what's special about the person embodying that, that character and that set of characters. And he like figures out how to, to thread them through. It's really, he's really quite a genius. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, that's a good reason to go back at least six more times. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> that's what I was just, just going to say. Like, focus on like another thought and like their track yep. and where they start and where they end up and wow. what they do and all that. Oh, amazing. Um, and so in a strangely, the, your musical is demanding this shift to a big black queer ass American Broadway. And then what creatives do you dream of bringing to Broadway with you to like make this, to also manifest this dream? Uh, Troy Anthony is someone whose music I quite like, um, and he is kind of like a fierce black gay man who I think that people would enjoy 
hearing his work on the, on the Broadway stage. Um, C.A. Johnson is a, a playwright whose plays I quite, quite, quite like. And I would love to see some of her, her work on the stage. My friend Keela Gibson, um, is someone whose work I really admire. And I think that, that his work should be seen. It's so many people, like everyone. I want to bring them all. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and CA was a guest in our first season. Oh. So, uh, definitely agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we can link to all those folks too. So our listeners can find out more about their work. Yes. And in your musical, In a Strange Loop, it's about kind of an outsider looking into the industry. And now that your show is up to be potentially nominated for the Tonys and other awards, the gatekeepers are now required to see your show. Mm -hmm. So what do you hope that they are taking away from this? But also, I'm one of the gatekeepers, weirdly. Ooh, say more. Because I'm a Tony voter. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also a Tony voter, so I'm weirdly also a gatekeeper. How does that feel? <laughs> yeah. Um, stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to do, too. It is a lot to do. I think I, when I first got, um, that privilege, I was much more excited about it than I am now. <laughs> Cause now it just means you have to go and watch everything and have an opinion and cast a vote and it's very political and also, time consuming. <laughs> yeah. But sorry, but that's that's not really what you were asking. I mean, now the gatekeepers outside of me <laughs> have to <laughs> Although I guess I'm not a gatekeeper. I'm not a Tony nominator. I'm just a voter. So the nominators are the Got ones mm-hmm. who like say whether it's will get nominated for a Tony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just vote once with whatever they Decide. Yeah. So I'm like a mini gatekeeper. <laughs> gatekeeper Junior. You're the second gate. I'm the second, yeah. I'm the second, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm the second, second guard. But what are you hoping those folks are taking away as they're considering nominations? Um, to be honest, like the thing I was, I've been telling people when I'm asked about just in general what I want audiences to take away from the show or what I hope that they're thinking about, I hope they're thinking about themselves. The show is about being a person. And so I hope that through Usher, people think about them, like what it means to be a person and maybe, and what it means for other people to be a, someone else to be a person mm-hmm. and all the sort of complexities and the nuances and the specificities of that. Um, that, so I hope that like the, the Tony people that they see, the value in that, that, that that's moving to them in some way or, or that it's worth recognizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And you've described strange loop as emotionally biographical. Can you speak mm-hmm. to the tradition of queer creatives drawing from emotional experience and, and does that inform your other writing? Um, I mean, I don't have like an academic answer to that. I can only speculate that because you you don't hear, I mean, now you do, but like historically you have not heard as many stories from black queer people sort of affirming that identity, uh, in their work that like, and, and as a result of that, it means that you don't, we don't, those stories are not necessarily out there that many of us just in a, in a, a desire to be both miss to be represented, but also I would say to be not misrepresented. 
to that we like have to tell the stories of our lives um just to so there's some sort of record um of of what we lived through and what we our thoughts were and what our our points of contention were and and where we came from and all of that uh so that's certainly something I wanted to do I I I felt you know I felt unseen unheard I felt misunderstood um, and so I began writing what would become a strange loop in a, in a, an attempt to, to try to become duly noted for an experience that I knew was not insignificant in some way, even if I felt insignificant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's important. I, that's certainly how I come through it. And there was a second part to that question. How does it inform your other writing? Um, I mean, I think that I've always been a pretty personal writer, no matter what I'm doing. And so there's always going to be a little bit of me in anything that I do. It's not necessarily going to be, I mean, Strange Loop is like so specifically about quote unquote me, like not just me, Michael R. Jackson, but like the concept of me or I. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like every, everything else I do is that, but like my next piece, for example, I think. If I, if I were a dramaturg, I would say, oh, A Strange Loop is about me or I. And White Girl in Danger is about we. It's about being a part of a, of a, a racial group or class. A class within a racial group. Mm-hmm. Or that's part of what it's about. And so there's, so certainly there's a, a personal connection to that, but that's, it's a different sort of angle than what A Strange Loop is about. And then I have like another musical I'm working on called Teeth with my collaborator Anna K. Jacobs. And that's like about, you know, a lot of female issues of which I'm not female. So that's part of why the reason why I was collaborating with Anna on it. But there's a thing inside of it that's about sort of like religious sexual repression. And that's very much a part of my story. And that's what I connected to when we decided to adapt the film into the stage version. So there's always going to be a little bit of, of the personal and to some degree or another in whatever I do. Um, it's just, it depends, but the angle is going to change. We didn't have a question about it, but in, in the future, I definitely want to talk more about teeth mm-hmm. because there needs to be more horror musicals. Yeah, That's yeah, just yeah, my yeah. take. <laughs> Agreed. This is the one where like there's teeth in a vagina, right? Yes. Okay. Correct. Vagina dentata. <laughs> yes. Amazing. I mean, I, yeah, I cannot wait for that. So I'm thrilled to hear that y'all are still working on it. That's mm-hmm. great. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So also, going back to the strange loop, um, you mentioned in a recent interview that, quote, church is the first place that you learned theater. Mm-hmm. So how did you queer the form of gospel uh, for a strange loop, for those scenes that are gospel driven? Well, you know, in a strange loop, part of the project of it, part of the project of the strange loop is trying to, for an audience, create the experience of what it is to be Usher, like what it feels like. And part of what it feels like to be Usher is to be in a religious environment and both like be, you know, thrilled by like the musicality of it. And the sort of passion inside of that, but also to be persecuted for his sexuality. And that for both of those things to be in concert. And so I guess you could say I queered the sort of religiosity by creating uh, an event wherein the audience is invited to clap along to a really... Um, negative message about AIDS. And in so doing that, they're given a choice. They don't have to do it, but some do and they real, and they, they stop or they, they start doing it and they stop. Some don't start at all. They're all looking to their neighbors for a cue as to what's allowed. Some are getting angry at the choices others have made. Some don't care. Some are, you know, they're, everybody has a different point of entry into that particular moment when they're clapping along to the song AIDS is God's Punishment. And that, for me, is the queer experience of what it's like to be in particularly, or specifically for me, a Baptist church, but in any sort of evangelical or Pentecostal church where there's, like, beautiful music and sort of uh, hateful ideology operating at the same time. And that seems pretty queer to me. Yeah. I was saying we talked about this for like maybe 45 minutes yesterday, <laughs> this clapping moment right. specifically. And I always like to be very clear about that. I have no judgment whatsoever about what anyone in the audience chooses to do. I believe in the theater that everybody is allowed to have their own authentic response, including walking out. Hmm. And so for me, I just, I like that the show invites people to respond with however feels right to them. That, that's really, for me, a very powerful moment. And it is a strange loop. It is what that it feels like if you are like a queer person in a church where, where there's like hateful ideology. And it's, and I, and I have, I, I will say this to the day I die. I do not judge anybody's response to that song at all. For, and then we'll move on from the clapping part. The, for the clapping, was that something that you wrote into the script, or was that something that uh, came from like director? Uh, that is definitely. I did write that into the script. I don't think I knew whether the audience would do it or not, but I did write it into the script. Yeah, and it feels like you're you're like breaking the rules of what happens in church, and and thinking about rules. Um, were there any that you had to like give yourself permission to break with the show while you were working on it? And then also when it was almost closer to, to finished. 
Um, I don't know that I had to give myself permission to break rules because in a weird way I was trying to like follow them. I like I whole the whole time I was working, I was like, what does Usher want? He has to want something. There's gotta be an I want song somewhere. <laughs> like I definitely followed that. Like that's real. And I was like, there has to be rising stakes, there has to be like I I wanted to create something that had dramatic integrity that wasn't cause I cause that's why I didn't do the like fast food town version where I was, mm-hmm. um, I was doing it. Cause I was like, Oh, that's just like a cabaret act or like a one man show. And I have respect for those things, but that isn't what I wanted it to be. I wanted to feel like it was an actual musical, whatever that, I mean, I knew it was going to be not a conventional musical, but like, I wanted to feel like you wondered what was going to happen. Um, and so, as far as breaking the rules, I guess, like, breaking the rules in terms of content, language, um, I've always, you know, I've been writing, not necessarily uh, theater, but I've been writing words since, you know, I was, like, 11 years old. Like, fiction, poetry, whatever. And I've always been a bit of a saucy writer. <laughs> um, so, that's always come with, with me. But, like... And I, and I guess trying to push the boundaries of form for sure. Like I knew, but I also knew, but I was also in conversation with other musicals that I love. So there's, it's a little bit yin and yang, I suppose, with that of trying to sort of push the boundaries of the form, but also to celebrate it. It's a big black and queer ass American Broadway show. It's not a big black and queer ass American anti Broadway show. <laughs> it's like Broadway. Razzle dazzle. I love that stuff. And then also we've been following on Instagram. We've been following on Twitter. We've seen a lot of notable fellow Broadway folks coming to see the show um, and some stars. So is there anyone in particular that you are excited to have come see the show? And we have to ask, has Liz Fair seen it? Is there plans for that? So wait, do you mean, are there people who I'm excited who have come to see it or people who I want to come see it? If you want to shout out some folks who have already seen it, that would be great. And then any uh, people that you hope will come. And you see mean it like Broadway well. people specifically, or could be Broadway, could be more mainstream celebrities. Um, who are some Broadway people who have come and seen the show? Uh, Alan Cumming, one of our co-producers, mm-hmm. came and saw it. Um, uh, Patty Murin, who the cast has this weird, funny little fake beef with. <laughs> Um, she came and saw it. That was something that began, like, like with them. Like, I only heard about it after the fact, and I was like, that's so weird. But anyway, she came and saw it. We're going to look into that. Um, you'll, yeah, it, you'll find it. It's all love. It's all, it's all, it's totally all love. It's just, it's a funny, weird thing that I was, I, when I heard about it, I was like, uh, okay. Um, uh, who else some... Tally Sessions came last night, I think, or two nights ago. So Andre DeShields oh, was Andre there. De, oh, that's right. Andre DeShields came to yeah. opening. Oh, right. Opening night. Andre <laughs> DeShields was there. Lilius White was there. Mm-hmm. LaShawns was there. So it was really great to have those. Like, they're like kind of the grand dames and elder statesmen of, of theater. And, and so I was happy to have them in the mix. Uh, Queen Latifah was there. Wow. Oh my gosh. Candy Burris <laughs> from Real House of Atlanta was there. Uh, Stacey Abrams was there. Uh, although I didn't know, really? I didn't, I didn't see her, but she was there. Oh 
my gosh. Uh, I just started reading a new book about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and the first section is an interview with Stacey Abrams about Buffy, and I lost my mind. Oh, yeah. Apparently, she, apparently she's, like, a big, like, not just Buffy, but she also wrote, like, these, like, romance novels. Oh. She said she's apparently. a big Star Trek fan, too. Yeah, she she was on Star Trek recently. Like, whatever, uh, one of the Star Treks that's on, oh I don't gosh. know on what like channel Picard or whatever, or something. but she was on. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so a lot of, like, a fair amount of people have come. Liz Fair has not seen the show, but she is very aware of it. Um, <laughs> I met her in 2019 um, during the Playwrights Run, and I had a beautiful conversation with her backstage at one of her concerts, and it was really, really awesome. She's a really, really wonderful person. That's great to hear. <laughs> Uh, so Strange Loop has partnered with GLAAD and the Hedrick Martin Institute to increase access to the show for queer youth. And what does it mean to you to have these folks coming to the show and what has their response been? It's been really wonderful to have like young queer folks coming to the show, some of whom are like, you know, theater students or and some who aren't. Um, and they just to hear them express like that the what the show means to them. I remember being like a younger person and like not and like the first time I saw something that really meant something to me. It's like and it's it's great like to have something that like you get excited about that like kind of makes your heart race a little bit. And so if my if I was able to make something that was that for somebody else that like I could die happy that like that they have something that they can feel good about. There's so, it's so, there's so few things in the world sometimes that you can feel good about that like if a piece of art can, and music can be that for like a young person, then thank God. Yeah. Is there anything that you, you wish that, that the next generation of musical theater creators could have that maybe you didn't? What would that be? Well, it's weirdly something that I had, but didn't realize that I had. Which was fearlessness <laughs> and a sense of, of risk taking. Um, I, you know, I didn't, I do, I do worry about some of the young, young artists today just because of the state of the world. The culture mm-hmm. is so much is about sort of, um, what is that thing that they do for, for babies where they put the locks on everything? Baby proof? Oh, baby proofing. Uh-huh. I feel like there's a lot of baby proofing for young artists, and I feel that that is a mistake, mm. and that we should not baby proof so much. I understand that everybody has their own feelings about quote unquote safety, but I but I do think that art needs to be about exploration and freedom, and I sometimes feel like young artists are not being um, given the tools to be free in their art. And that, so that's something that I really strongly, strongly would like to offer with like all kinds of compassion to artists is that to, to be fearless and to take risks and to be free. Great advice. Thank you. 
And we're moving to a part of our show we call Queering the Canon. It's when we think about a play or a musical from theater history that we would like to change and make queer. Mm -hmm. So is there a work that you would personally like to either see queered or write the queer adaptation yourself? Huh. Um, I think that I would like to see the queer version of... Of, of what? Like, maybe... I mean, I feel like so many things I like already are queer. So what would I want? That's great. So I think maybe I would queer something like... Um, oh, I'd queer like an August Wilson play. Mm. Like, uh, I'd queer like um, Fences. Ooh. How would you yeah. queer Fences? I want to hear more. I don't know. Maybe like Troy and the Sun would like Buck or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm just making. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that because I thought deeply. Yeah. I'm not saying that because I thought deeply about this. But I used to always. So like when you're when I was a young playwright, like in undergrad, I would write the same things like over and over again, and I was constantly writing. And I kind of it weirdly did it in a strange loop. I was constantly writing about fathers and sons, like who would have sex or who would accidentally have sex or like wanted to have sex or there was sexual tension or. Whatever. Like, and so, like, there could be something to, like, doing that in fences. I don't know how. I, again, I have not thought this through on any level. But I think, especially just because August Wilson is such a, like, straight man uh-huh. in his work, yeah. you know? And the men are, like, straight men. <laughs> that, like, it would be cool to queer that somehow. I don't know how I would do it. Yeah. The tension's there, though. I don't think it would yeah. be hard for you to. Add yeah, in the... no, like the speech that the son gives to in fences, where he's like, "You don't, Dad, you don't like me. Mm. Yeah, I want you to like me. You know, like there's." And he's like, "Why do I have to like, like you? you?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe there's something there. It's a great gem. <laughs> I don't think his. I don't think his estate would like stand for that, but <laughs> you just asked me the question and I answered it. No, that's what it's here for. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'd love a queer rose too. Oh fences. yeah, sure. Yeah, make them all gay. So our next section is the queer culture wreck. So outside of theater, mm. what's your queer culture indulgence? It could be like TV, books, uh, an event. So uh, this is not going to be a satisfactory answer, but because <laughs> I'm not watching any queer ex- or any outwardly queer culture stuff right now, but I am watching um, Murder, She Wrote. Oh, that's queer. Quite a lot. So, <laughs> alright, so queer. if that's queer, yeah. like, I just, I love it. I love, like, I start, I never watched it as a kid, my mom watched mm-hmm. it, but I started watching it at some point during the lockdown or whatever, and it is, and I can, and I basically, as much as I can, I watch an episode every night before bed, and it is so good. It's so good. And it, and it is weirdly queer, too, because there's all these... Ama- One of the things that's so amazing about it is that there's these, like, incredible guest stars of either pe- golden age sort of people who in, like, 1985, 86, whatever, they were either, like, golden age people from, like, a long time ago mm-hmm. who were, like, doing, like, like, uh, like, a. I mean, I, it wasn't, he wasn't one of the people, but like somebody like Lillian Gish uh-huh. as like an old woman on Mercy Wrote would be on there. Again, I don't think he, he wasn't one of the guests, but someone like that. Uh-huh. But then mm-hmm. also it will be people who now are very old 
were much younger on there. So it would be like, you'd see like Kate Mulgrew. Oh, wow. Or like, or like Donna Pescow or like just some mm-hmm. random, like some person you're like, oh my God, that's a young Anne Nira. Uh-huh. Like I just watched an episode with Anne Nira and it's <laughs> like, that, and it's just, and you watch that plus Angela Lansbury is like in the middle of it. And it's just, it's the pleasures of it are just boundless and endless. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I, I should revisit. That's yeah. awesome. I think everyone should watch it. <laughs> it's so good. Is it very like uh, Scooby-Doo? Like you, it kind of hits the same beats every time? Or every is episode it... is exactly the same. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like, there's a murder. Jessica is just happens to be in town or <laughs> it's in Cabot Cove and there's a murder. We think it's one person, we think it's another person, but really it's this other person. <laughs> right. And Jessica figures it out. But that's part of one of the many pleasures of it. It's not draining your energy the way these binge watches do mm-hmm. because it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then the next episode is as if the episode before it did not happen. <laughs> I absolutely love that. it. Mm-hmm. We love a tie-up. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, one of our last sections for Queer Gives. So we like to ask folks if there's a charitable organization, a mutual aid fund, or um, another group that you'd like to shout out for us to uplift and support. Um, I'm always trying to encourage people to give money to the Musical Theater Factory just because I owe so much to them for giving me like my initial little hub to work on A Strange Loop. And there's not a lot of organizations that uh, support the development of new musicals. And so any time I can do that, I would encourage people to, to give resources to the musical theater factory. Awesome. And how can folks follow you follow for updates and what you're doing next? Uh, you can, you can follow me at, um, on Twitter at the living MJ as in Michael Jackson, the living MJ on Instagram at the living Michael Jackson. Um, my website is www.thelilymichaeljackson.com. I'm, I'm pretty contactable. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you again. Thank you. Of course, I was happy to speak with you. Thanks for listening. If you like, please follow, rate, and review us and share us with your friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. We love to hear your queer culture backs and ideas for queering the canon. Send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and discussions on current theater. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. (laughs) Can I ask... Did you, and forgive me if you've said this before, but did you actually work at The Lion King? I did. I ushered there for four years. Oh, wow. I, I worked, I sold merch there for a summer. Oh, wow. That was in 2008? That was probably right when I got fired. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.